Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 128. This episode is with lead sports scientist at Southampton Women and Girls, Dr. Laura Bowen. Big thank you to Laura for coming on the podcast. We basically put out before this episode for people to send in questions and there were so many people that sent questions in. Big thank you to everyone that got in touch and sent your questions in. We did our best getting through them all. We didn't quite get them through them all, but we got some really interesting topics covered in this one. So Laura went answers some questions on developing uh, buy-in. She spoke about being a female working in a male environment and gave some great advice for some young coaches, not just female coaches, but coaches in general. She spoke about giving feedback through GPS and how she goes about that with the different approaches that she's done and different managers she's worked for. She spoke about the setup at Southampton, so the programme at Southampton and the sort of aims and aspirations of the club going forward. She spoke about effective sprint exposure and also measures of fitness and strength in relation to managing progression to senior football or the first team as well. So absolutely loads covered in this one. Um, And like I said, big thanks to Laura for giving up her time and coming on the podcast. Definitely someone I've wanted to get on for a while. We did the webinar as well not too long ago and the the sort of reception we got on that webinar and the questions we got sent in um, was absolutely loads. So Laura always brings in some amazing attention to the sort of webinars and podcasts and some great questions as well. And um, she did an amazing job at answering all the questions that you guys sent in as well. So big thank you to her for coming on. As always, please share the show. Share this out to as many people as possible. If you've not subscribed already, head over to iTunes, Spotify, and also go and give our YouTube a follow as well, because you can not only just listen to this podcast, you can also watch it as well over on the YouTube. So I hope you enjoy episode 128 with Laura Bowen. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 128. I'm delighted to welcome on the podcast, Laura Bowen. Laura, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm really good. How are you? I'm good, thank I'm better you. now I've like... had a coffee. <laughs> I like the wave. I like the wave. I think we need more waving at the start of the podcast. <laughs> well, yes, anyone, obviously the listeners won't know. We're recording this pretty early, so thank you very much for getting up and coming onto the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's taken me a solid half an hour to get my eyes open, but I'm all right now. That's good. Well, as always, like we did on the webinar, we put out for questions to be sent in. And honestly, we've been sent so many questions. And I'm uh, thank you to everyone that sent them in, by the way. I appreciate everyone sending the questions in. And I'm going to do what well, we're going to do our best to get through as many as possible. We probably won't get through them all, but we'll do our best to get through as many as we can. But just start us off, Laura, I've not mentioned your current role. So what I'll let you do is just talk through your background, your career so far, and then just take us up to what you're doing currently. Okay. Uh, I So I studied sports science at Birmingham University, or the University of Birmingham, uh, and then did my dissertation at Aston Villa, like the same dissertation that most people do when they get the opportunity to work in football, like does sprint speed correlate with jump height? Um, everyone did it 
I did it too. Um, and then when I was at Aston Villa doing my dissertation, um, it just so happened to be when GPS first became a thing that everyone had to have. Um, so like they needed someone that would sit on a computer and I really wanted a job in football. So I said I would do it. Um, so I worked at Aston Villa for two years as a GPS analyst, two and a half, and then moved over to Southampton to do the same role with the academy there. Uh, did that for a couple of years, moved up to the first team to do like, uh, I was a data scientist, but it was probably a really loose way of describing what I did. So I uh, monitored and tracked all the performance data for the players. And then my role changed to be more of a sports scientist. So getting involved more in gym sessions and rehab sessions, um, as well as still doing the data side. And I did that until January and then I've moved over to the women's side. So I'm now lead sports scientist for the women and girls. Um, so from the under 10s up to the senior team, um, and I have uh, four physical performance coaches that help me out with that. Awesome. And I'm going to sneak my question in at the start of all this. So how do you find um, the difference between working with a first team compared to academy ages? Um. I th it's it's really interesting and different. So I, when I first moved up to the first team, I realised how different it was because in the academy, the focus is on developing them as people and as athletes. So you will push them a little bit harder in the gym. You will take a little bit longer with their rehab because you want to make them as robust and the best that they can be. When you get to the first team and the schedule is so manic and they do so much, it's more about just getting them on the field and that totally changes how you approach your practice. So if you sign a player who's never done a squat in the gym before, you probably not aren't going to spend weeks teaching them how to squat. Um, it's more about just getting them on the pitch and getting them to be the best that they can be and working their way around that rather than when they're in the academy and you're developing them. And I think that's the same, whether it's males or females that you're working with. Um, it totally depends on the time that you have and how much pressure there is to get them on the pitch, how you approach it. Please. Yeah, no, definitely. So I'll dive into the first question. Um, and I think this is a question that probably will resonate with a lot of listeners and coaches. Um, so it's a really good question. I think this one was from Rebecca uh, McLaren. So thanks, Rebecca. She said, how do you gain buy-in as a female working with male athletes? And how do you go about succeeding in that male environment? No pressure. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess, I hope I, I succeeded in a male environment. I think I did all right. I lasted. Um, I guess getting buy-in. Um, so for me, I don't know. I've always cared, like, I know that it sounds, I guess it sounds a little bit like fluffy, but I've always really cared about the athletes and whether that's getting them back on the pitch when they're injured or making them a little bit better. I've really cared about them. And I think it's important that they know that not just as athletes, but as people as well. And then I think if you care about them, you can build a relationship. If you just ask them about their lives. Um, I always um, thought, it must be hard for them because most people that come up and talk to them are just like, oh my God, it's you. And um, rather than, oh, like, are you kid? Is it like your son's first day at school today or just talking to them as people? And I think building the relationship that way probably helped the most with my buy-in. And then also being able to explain why I was asking them to do something. 
like I don't get anything out of making them do a max sprint effort like for me I, I don't get a kick out of that it's about like uh conditioning their hamstrings giving them a better opportunity on the pitch to not get injured to be better prepared for the demands um and to be able to justify that with your knowledge I think that's how I've got wired and I'll just extend on on that Laura as well because I suppose the other way of looking at it is has there been any challenges that you felt as a female within the male environment that you feel potentially males don't like they don't go through the same sort of challenge uh so when I, I like I knew you were going to ask this question I thought <laughs> I've got I've got to plan my answer here uh I'll be like I'll be honest within reason and the reason that I say that is uh, so my brother said something to me a few months ago that has proper stuck with me and it's that however hard you find it now if 18 year old me could see what I achieved it was exactly what I wanted to do. I'd have been buzzing that I'd ended up being a first-team sports scientist in Premier League football because that's what I wanted to do. I'd be buzzing that I'd got a PhD because that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so even though it hasn't ended up being exactly how I imagined it to be, it's exactly what I wanted. So regardless, like I'm so grateful for that, for all the incredible people, all the lessons that I've learned. I think whether you're male or female, whatever age you are, whatever race you are, working in high-performance sport is hard. Like, I think you're lying if you say it's not. It's so many hours. It's high pressure. When you're in it, it feels like it's life or death. Like, it is hard. Um, I think, obviously, I, I can't speak as a guy, but I think as a female, it is harder. Um, one of the physios in the first team said to me, he would hate for his wife to work in this environment. And mm. I think that probably suggests, like, what it can be like. Um, I proper loved what I did in the first team and in the academy. I loved my actual job. I loved working with the players. I found the environment hard and I did feel like at times I got overlooked because I was female. Like if there was a warm up to take or a gym session to take, it'd be like, oh, Laura, is there any SNC coaches in today? Yeah. yeah. Me. <laughs> um, and I, 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 maybe that's because I'm me and I'm a bit shy or maybe it's because I'm female or a bit of both. But I, def, I, I did find it hard, but also I loved it. So, and I, I knew when I was going into it that I was going into a male-dominated environment. So there are things that, like, I knew I was going to get sick from day one. I knew that people were going to look at me and be like, the first impression would be like, oh, there's a girl here. Mm -hmm. um, and then it would be in that respect afterwards. Um, but it was definitely harder than I ever could have imagined. But I've learned so much that I wouldn't take it away. And that's the best way I can answer that. I think that's a great answer. And just to extend on that, what would you say, um, what advice would you give? Because there's going to be a lot of coaches, especially female coaches, looking at your career, like you say, working in the Premier League, like getting your PhD, doing all the things that you've done so far like they want to do something similar. They'll be sat there thinking, that's amazing. Like, how do I go about that? So what, what would be some advice that you'd give those coaches that are potentially coming through uni now or post-grads or whatever position they're in? Um, I think probably the best advice I can give is, uh, I don't know if this is advice, but I would say I'm pretty stubborn. Like I decided that was what I was going to do and it didn't matter like how hard it was or how much at times I was like, Ugh. Um, I decided that was what I was going to do. And I just kept 
pushing for it. I think probably the advice I can give is know yourself and believe in yourself because I think in general in sport, it's not the environment where people turn around and say, well done, you did a really good job today. Or like, oh, you look like you need an arm around your shoulder. So you have to be strong in yourself. You have to know that you've done a good job. You have to know that you deserve to be there because even though people might think it, they don't always have the time or the awareness to be like, well done, or you deserve to be here or you're part of the team. So I think be strong. And also, uh, I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe you can tell me because you spoke to a lot of people. Someone said to me that in general, a guy will look at a CV or a job, descri- uh, a job description, sorry, and look down the bullet points of things and be like, I can't do any of them, but I can do that one, so I'll apply. And a, a girl will look down a job description and be like, I can do all those things, but I can't do that one, so I'm not going to apply. And I don't know if that's a gender thing or not, but it's definitely something I would do. Like, oh, I can do all those, and I've got all those qualifications, but that one thing there, I've never done it before, so I'll probably not apply. Yeah. Um, I would say just go for it. Like I've interviewed people that haven't, whose CVs haven't met the job spec, but they've had something else. The job spec hasn't even described or thought about that has made them perfect for the role. So I would say go for it. I think that's great advice. That reminds me of a chat I had with Chris Barnes. who talked about having vanilla CVs and people are having vanilla CVs and you want to be that standout, don't you? You just want to have something on there even if it's something that you don't even think is going to be that specific to the role, but you can help whoever it is above you or working in that team. I think that's the important bit that just makes you stand out that little bit, isn't it? Yeah, something that's totally different because I think whether you're male or female, everyone knows the sports science industry now is saturated. There's so many degrees and so many people graduating each year. Like you could, like for most job applications, I think if you had all the CVs that came in, you just literally split it in half, chucked half of them away. In that half, you'd have another 10 or 20 great candidates and you haven't even looked at those CVs. Like, yeah. So you have to be something different. Yeah, no, definitely. Brilliant. I think that was a good answer, Laura. Really good answer. <laughs> <laughs> the next one, we'll move on. You mentioned about GPS before. So someone sent a, a question about GPS. So how do you give feedback through GPS to a coach that just wants to know how a player has, uh, how hard, sorry, a player has worked in a session or game? And they've gone on to say, would you use a multi-mechanical model, density metrics, distant covered? Like where, where would you start? Where would you focus? Uh, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a whole, uh, that's a whole discussion right there. But I would say, so I've worked with four first team managers, uh, lots of different academy coaches, and now uh, the Marianne and Lauren, who are the manager and the coach for the women's side, all very, very different in terms of their relationship with data and how hard a player has worked. Um, so I think you have to understand the data and what it shows. And then the feedback that you give to the coach depends on what they're used to. Um, so for example, when I spoke to Marianne about doing the women's job, she was like, I know you're a numbers geek and I'm just letting you know now that I hate numbers. <laughs> it's going to be a good start. And so with Marianne, I will use the numbers to inform the conversation and she won't even see a report. I will just have the information and then we'll just have a chat about how we can change and and modify what we're doing or improve what we're doing um, 
with an informed conversation based on the numbers. Um, with Ralph, he's very much driven by things that he has done through his coaching licenses in Germany. And that's very driven on volume and distance. Um, and then, so I, I would always feed back to him based on distance. And then once I had him in the conversation, I would then inform him about other metrics, the intensity of the session. Um, but the buy-in would be what he most relates to. And for each coach, it's been slightly different. Um, and I think it's more about how you understand the numbers and be able to tell the story to the coach in the way that they want to hear it. And like you said, it's knowing about the coach, isn't it? Like the, the, You've given really, two really good examples there because two quite different examples, but effective on both sides, just different approaches, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think in the past, I would have hung my hat on certain ways of doing it, certain metrics, different different models. And then a coach will just look at you like, that means nothing to me. So do you want yeah. to try again? Um, yeah. So I think you can understand it all and you can have all the numbers in front of you. You just then have to change how, like the information that you get to the person in front of you. And is it, this might be, a daft question but has it always been like a something that you'll present on paper or is it can it just be a conversation um I think it again depends on the coach like uh some coaches want to sit and look at the numbers um so there'll always be a conversation no matter what I don't think you can ever just put a report on someone's desk no. and be like there you go see you later yeah. um some coaches really want to look at the numbers some coaches never want to see them but I don't think, because there's always context behind it. Like if you just give them a report, they might be like, oh, why has he run so much more than him? Or why has she done so much more than her? And not, well, they were modified today because they've been injured or they like they were playing a floater in that game. So that's why they've done that. And there's a context behind it rather than someone just getting pulled out because the number says something. Yeah, no, definitely. Right, next one. I think this is the, the one you're going to enjoy. How, what's your approach? I'm going to change the question slightly. What's your approach to developing the women and girls set up at Southampton? Uh, okay, so that's a, a good question. So um, I had in my head, give me a break, but I didn't mean that like, give me a break, Ben. <laughs> well, was, um, so I've only been with the women's team two months yesterday. Um, so it would be unfair of me to be like, this is how I'm developing the women. Um, so before I before I started with the women's side, uh, James Grant did this job. And with him working on the physical side and then Marianne and Lauren developing the technical side, the aim has always been for this team of players to be a top team. So in the championship and then in the WSL is the aim. It's the project um, that was what, they're aiming for from the start and when they didn't get sign off they had to start from the bottom and work their way up um and they've done an incredible job and that's the aim they have such a good balance between uh making sure these girls are training not to, for the league that they're in but training for the league they're above or the league above that but without saying to them you're incredible players you've made it here's everything handed to you on a plate mm. like we'll get there eventually so they've had such a good balance and James has done a great job of, of physically developing the players. They are so strong, like unbelievably strong and fit. And then the the coaches, like the technical ability I've seen on these girls is unreal. 
So it's nice to come into this environment and know that it's a project that I can be part of um, that's already like got the foundations and, and built from there. And then it's nice to know that everyone is pushing for, for more, for further. I think we must be one of the only tier four sides that have full-time S&C, full-time physios, full-time coaches um, and coaches, physios with unbelievable experience. So the project and the backing of the club is to push this as far as we can. And everyone seems to have bought into that, which is really nice because if you have one project that everyone's working towards, I think it really brings you together as a team. Mm. It's exciting as well, isn't it? That you've got that, that big goal as well of getting in WSL and competing at that level. And like you said, having the girls in the league they're in currently, but preparing them like they are above, like that must be for you as a practitioner, that must be really exciting. Yeah, I think it's been such a good experience for me to come from an, an environment where it's putting out fires, it's a game every 30 seconds and you're like, oh God, here we go again. And you don't really have time to put anything long-term in practice and hold it there because you're like, oh, we've got to pull that now because we've just suddenly got a game thrown in here. Or like, it's nice to work on something where at the moment, some of the girls' training sessions are harder than the games that they play. So in terms of preparing the athletes, you have much more space and time to prepare them because the game at the weekend isn't worst case scenario. And then you've got like this long recovery period and you go again. It's like, okay, well, Wednesday was harder. So how do we program and plan for that? And how do we plan for next year when it will be harder, when it will be a challenge? And I don't know, it's just exciting. So what, what's your, and you don't necessarily have to discuss this if you don't want, but what's your focuses then go, for going forward on the programme? Because obviously being in the club for, do you say two months now? Uh, yes, I've been with the women's team two months. So you, you've obviously had two months of seeing, like like you said, the, the standard that the girls are at physically and, and technically. Where What are some key things that jump out to you where you can have that impact, you think, at the moment? Um, I think... Uh, so, well, for a start, the impact that I can have at the moment is that they haven't been able to train since December. So just getting them fit. So we've just found out we've got our first FA Cup, our first FA Cup game back on the 4th of April and we can only start training on the 29th of March. So the first impact that we've got to have is getting prepared as quickly as and best as we can from home for that first game when we only have three training sessions before the first match, um, which is almost unheard of in competitive sport um, and just like the challenges that COVID's thrown at everybody. Um, I think for me, the, the difference that I can make or is that I've seen what it takes and what it looks like at the top, top level. Um, at players that are best in practice, at staff that are total experts. And then like for the girls, they're pushing towards that. So hopefully I can help them bridge the gap and see what they need to achieve. They're already so far on the way and they've already had great people around them. I think I can just add something a little bit different and hopefully bring my experience from the first team um, to help take it to the next level, hopefully. That's the aim anyway. If you're a coach looking for your next opportunity or struggling perhaps to get an interview, then you need to go and check out the latest webinar on our online community because Exos performance coach Matt Jones has presented on creating opportunities. So he goes into loads of information in this webinar. He talks about supply versus demand. He talks about his sales funnel approach to creating opportunities. 
He speaks about how to stand out as well in a saturated market. Um, and he also talks about what you see, what your CV should look like and also what it shouldn't look like. So you need to go and check it out. There's a preview to the webinar on our YouTube page. So just search, search Football Fitness Federation. But you can get full access to the webinar on our online community by going to footballfitfed.com, clicking the community tab, sign up there. That'll give you one month free on the community. After that, it is only £4.99 per month. And you can get access to a number of different webinars, including... Laura's webinar that she did for us um, on prevention is cheaper than the cure. So go and check it out. If you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab and sign up there. Hope you enjoyed part two of the podcast with Laura Bowen. And that's what I was going to say because you were and the whole project restart sort of thing with the, <laughs> with the first team. Obviously, you'd have been involved with, with that way back in whenever that was. Um so <laughs> it's all a blur, <laughs> but there, there must be lessons that you learned from getting the, the guys back to the, those first few games after such a long period off and, and like you say, training at home on Zoom and all the rest of it to now the girls going through a very similar thing, albeit probably a, an even smaller time frame to actually get them in and get them playing again. I think I was pretty lucky in that as a department uh, at Saints, we felt like we did pretty well for Project Restart, like players and staff. As a, as a group, we came together. We had pods where, like, uh, six members of staff would work with six players and it was very, like, niche. And, like, we helped each other out. And then when we came back in, like, it was very, like, driven towards being prepared to play again. And I think what I've learned from everybody there will help, hopefully, with the girls coming back in now. Um one of the things that we we all definitely learned was you can run all you want, but there is definitely like you need to be kicking a ball now. If you're going back yeah. in soon, you need like the actual kicking load. We were just thinking like we're running everyone, they're doing gym sessions with whatever equipment they've got at home. But now it's time to put your boots back on so you don't get blisters and start kicking a ball around again. And yeah. it sounds simple, but as as a conditioning coach, all you're thinking about is making sure they're fit and not necessarily are they kicking a ball. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into it, isn't it? From going from from physically preparing to suddenly having all the all the load of a game. Yeah, definitely. Right, I'll jump on before I'm hogging all the questions. I'll jump back onto this some of the questions people have sent in. Um, so the next one being what is an effective sprint exposure per week to guard against hamstring injuries and how long is too long between exposures? Um, so this is obviously with any of these questions, this is just me answering from my experience on my side yeah. of things. Um, I think there's not one answer to anything. Um, I've definitely learned that. But from my side of things, what we found was really effective was – as long as they had a max speed exposure at least once a week, that seemed to us to be enough condition of the hamstrings to massively reduce our occurrence of hamstring strains. Um, obviously, there was a lot of other things going on in the background, but we had one max speed exposure each week. And so we would not just track like how they hit 90%, but how much distance they cover over 90%. So when generally GPS metrics cover sprint distance, 
it's usually set like a default of seven meters a second. Um, if you can hit 10 meters a second, sprint distance is covering anything over 70% of your max speed, which actually isn't that fast. Suddenly, if you're running at 9.9 meters a second, the load and the stress of that is so much higher. So it's not just can you touch over 90% once a week, but making sure you, you're actually covering the distance you would cover in a game, in your worst case scenario, over 90% as well. Um, we would always try and get people once a week. If they hadn't got it in a game on a Saturday, we'd try and get them by Wednesday. Like either Usually on a Wednesday, we'd try and get them to make sure they'd had it once a week. The only time that wouldn't be the case is if we had more than one game in a week and they'd missed it twice. Uh, they've just played two games in a week, so then I wouldn't go and smash them with a max speed effort. Um, but generally once a week, I think it would be. I've said it a million times. Yeah. <laughs> that so when you're saying about how long is too long, you'd say probably seven seven days. Uh, yeah, I think you need to keep it within seven days. Obviously, it's not the, the most important thing, the be-all and end-all. So if it goes over seven days and they've played two games, they're knackered, their hamstrings are hurting, I don't think you then go, well, it's been over seven days, so you have to do a sprint. Um, yeah. But I think in general, keep it within seven days. Brilliant. And then next one, what measures of fitness slash strength do you use to manage progression to senior football? Uh, none and a lot, I think. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I think in general, like, you know the demands of the game, like, you know what your players have to achieve at the top level and what their hardest game looks like progressing to that level you need to be able to reach those demands I so if you ranked all the players in the team based on their on a metric on their speed or their strength or whatever I would guarantee that some of your best players that start every game would be at the lower end of that leaderboard um, so I, I would find it really difficult to put one or two metrics on progression to the senior team and it's more can you reach the demands of the game repeatedly and robustly whatever that is for you um there are obviously certain characteristics that you need to be a football player and I think if you measure those and make sure that they are your benchmarks against what you think best in classes so whether that's like your aerobic capacity your repeated sprint ability um your strength your power your agility I think if you have the benchmark of what you think best in class is and you can push towards that, then as a practitioner, you're doing a good job. But I wouldn't ever want to put a metric on progression to a senior team. Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a much bigger picture, isn't it? Yeah. Real. And then we have had a few other questions um, sent in and some of them were a little bit brief, but I actually think this one could work quite nicely because of mainly the difference between being with, with the guys, obviously, in that environment and then working now with the girls? Because the girls' program at the moment, is that a part-time program? Uh, yeah, so they train three nights a week and then play at the weekend. Okay, cool. So someone sent a question in saying, and I'll just reword it a little bit, but what is a working day like as a sports scientist within a soccer club? So mm -hmm. you could obviously, I think another way of maybe looking at that was, what are the differences between in that being in that full-time program to the part-time program, but for you as a sports scientist? Okay. Um, 
I mean, for a start, I'm working from home at the moment, so that's a big difference. Yeah. Um, I guess in the in the men's side, when it's full time, you uh, and this is not just for me, but for the players as well. Like your life is totally dictated by the schedule. So the schedule might come out on a Thursday for the next week, and on that Thursday is when you find out when your next day off is, or if you've got a next day off, and whether you're in in the morning or the afternoon. Um, and in the, they're full on days like um, you're working all day it's we would always have a meeting in the morning and in that meeting in the morning you'd find out how mad your day was going to be but it, uh, full on and very different and never boring um, and you never know when your next day off is going to come so that always yeah. you know keeps you on your toes um, but the good thing is it never felt like clocking in or clocking out and it was never repetitive you, always dynamic and always learning the difference in for the for the women's team at the moment and obviously I haven't been in into the training ground and doing training sessions because we're still working from home except for rehabs um when I've been on the pitch but because it's three nights a week and uh a game day at the weekend uh you have to periodize your week very differently to make sure you get what you need into three sessions and also for these girls at the moment, playing football isn't their jobs. They have jobs, they go to university, they are full-time mums, and then they come and train at night. So in the men's side, everyone's life is dictated by their schedules. They might find out they've got a Thursday off, so they'll go and play golf or they'll go out with their families. Um, in the women's side, if I put, even now working from home, if I put a running session on a Friday, one of the girls is working until eight o'clock on a Friday and there's no way she's going to go to a pitch at eight o'clock at night and start doing a running session. Hmm. Uh, it's then how can we change the schedule to fit around their lifestyles rather than the other way around? And that's probably the biggest difference for me. Brill. And then just on that as well, someone's asked about, um, and again, I know this is hard because it's early, it's still early in your time with the girls, but any non-negotiables or what are, some of the most important aspects to focus on when working with part-time players? And I know you've, um, you have touched on it there that there's obviously different people are working jobs and all the rest of it, but is there anything else that you'd, you'd add with that in terms of non-negotiables? Yeah, so I, like I've been pretty lucky that um, everyone that I've worked with at Saints is, uh, helps me out and gives a little bit of advice and expertise. So... I don't feel like I'm just going for it and hoping I'm doing the right thing. Um, but when I first started in the job, I had a, an hour long call with each of the players and we talked about what their goals were, where they wanted their careers to go to, what they thought their strengths were and what they thought the weaknesses were. Um, they all sent me videos of them doing the basic fundamental movements. And then from that, I've picked out what I think their their big rocks are all the thing that they need to work on the most. And then based on their schedules and their times, try and make sure we're at least working on that. Um, so you might have all these things that you want to work on, but what's the most important for that player? Um, and can we get that in in the week? Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And that, that's been, when we spoke to people that are working with part-time players, that's been a very similar sort of, um, focus in that there is a lot of things that you do want to cover but at the same time you've got to pick out the the important things and um, 
Tom Noon spoke about his with FC United um, ladies team. He said about removing the fluff, essentially. So the things that you don't you don't need to prioritise at that time, getting rid of that stuff and focusing on the, the big rock. So um, I think that sort of echoes what, what he said, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think, like, I know I'm biased, but they are, like... That, like they don't get paid big money to do this like they do it because they love it and they want to be the best that they can be at it so they're sat there like okay what can I do better what can I do next and yeah. and as a practitioner that's so good because you you've got buy-in before you've even started because they want to get better for themselves and um, and that helps when they're on a tight schedule it's definitely yeah definitely that athletes like that are like sponges aren't they they take everything in and like you're just there to you're there to guide it, aren't you? And it's exciting because you can have such a big impact with with players like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's it's so nice and it's refreshing because so they tra- like some of them travel so far. They go on a night shift after they've trained. Like it's mental, but they just work so hard and you just you can't knock them for that. And it makes you want to work harder for them too. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, we'll move on to some of the the quick fire questions so we'll go into these so the first one being who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far um so the first person that came to mind is um bill styles so he's the lead sports scientist for the first team at southampton and i would say he's been a big influence on my career because uh it's not really a secret i guess that for the people that work with me in the first team i definitely went through a period of finding it really hard and losing losing my love for it I guess um he massively uh boosted my confidence and installed some faith in me just by showing that he believed in me and that he wanted to help me learn and, and get better he's so logical and he has a reason for everything that he does he expects a high standard and I, I think for me that just that just helped like that we're doing this because of this and this needs to be at this level because of this um, but at the same time, if you're struggling, let me know and I'm going to help you out because sometimes you feel like, oh my God, I'm in the first team. I can't ask a question because I should just know the answer. Yeah. And so he was a good influence on me for that. Um, Frankie Hunter, I would say, is a big influence on me. So she was the first team sports scientist at Saints when I first started. And she was the first female practitioner that I'd seen in a high senior men's role. Uh, she just had this great rapport with the players on and off the pitch. Like everyone respected her. And she's gone on to do like bigger, better, great jobs at Hull, at Everton, at Middlesbrough. Like she's had a, a great career and just someone that I always looked up to. And like she's nailed this. She's got this balance of professionalism, right? Um, God, honestly, there's so many people. <laughs> it's always a hard one just, to narrow it yeah. down, I know. <laughs> I've met a lot of good people. If I haven't mentioned you, you were also a good influence on my career because I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. That's cool. And then the next one being, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, not in a big-headed way at all, but can I pick two? <laughs> of course you can. Um, so first up, I would say my strength is that I'm a massive numbers geek. Um, so quite a lot of people that work in sports science or in strength and conditioning hate sitting at a computer, hate crunching numbers. Um, 
whereas I love it like my background or what I was really good at at school and college was maths and physics and I was going to go to uni and do that instead and um, so I'm good at picking out trends and crunching numbers and I think that has helped me out with my career when I needed to stand out from the crowd I, I had something a little bit different way before data in sport was a massive thing um, and then as a person I, I think I care a lot and I, it can be my strength and my weakness you know like I can end up crying in the toilets because someone like one of the players has got injured and I feel bad for him um but then I, I care so much that I put so much in and I try and learn about each person I think that's I don't know I like that about myself even yeah. though I'm a bit wet at times no 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 I think that's good though because it, it sees players then see the personal side don't they and they, they can relate to that as well I hope so and then next one um, and I always say recent on this one, and I know it's, it's hard for some people, especially when you've been busy and had a lot on, but in terms of CPD, is there anything that you've done recently, um, and recently could be within the last sort of year or so, that stood out for you? So that might be webinar, it might be a certain podcast, it might even just be like research you've read. Is there anything that sort of jumps out that's sort of had an impact on, on your practice? Um, I would, so I have to pick this because... So I, I had a, a Zoom call with Georgie Brunevels like a few weeks ago, and she is uh, an expert on the menstrual cycle and she works with Chelsea Women and she's also a research scientist at Oroco. And then we just had a chat through, so Dawn Scott uh, introduced us actually, which was really nice. And for me, it was, I learned so much because I have come from an environment where you don't mention the menstrual cycle. Like, apart from it not being relevant to the players, like, it's just, it's just a taboo subject. You don't mention it to working with athletes where it's very, very important. And I, I learned so much from her. And I've been listening to her podcasts as well. Um, and they've really helped me out because I don't want to come in and just treat the female athletes like the male athletes and just think, well, everyone's just a person. It'll be all right. And um, so... It's, I've learned a lot from her just in the last few weeks that I think has been key. And for anyone that wants to know, Laura, what's her, what's her podcast? A female Athlete Podcast. Brilliant. And then finally, what would you say the best trait or the most important trait is to have for a coach? Um, ha. Uh, can I say caring, even though I've said like, like, I don't know, I think caring about what, about the players and about what you do, um, it can be a brutal environment. And I think you've got to love it and you've got to care about it. And then if you care about the players, you can make sure that your programs, uh, the way that you develop the athlete, the way that you coach them, the way that you lead is suited to their needs. And I, I think that makes you a better practitioner. And then just also on that one, what would you say the most important trait is for a player? So players that you've had possibly the, the, the best success with, the best progression with, like, is there any sort of common traits that stand out with those players? Yeah, they, the best players that I've worked with, the hardest workers, the most successful, the ones that have had the longest careers, have an intrinsic desire to be good players the best that they can be rather than 
um, you know, I'm going to do this because they told me to, or I'm going to do this because I get more money or the fans will like it. The best players that I've seen are the ones that do it because they want to, because they love it, because they want to be the best that they can be just for them. Um, so I think like an intrinsic fire, an intrinsic like burn to be the best that they can be. Definitely. I think you see that with the, with the best players out there, don't you? They've all got that. Definitely. Yeah. Laura, this is superb. We've, we've got through quite a bit there, to be fair. Um, so big thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been great having you on it. In terms of people following you, keeping up with your work, like where would you direct people? Is there anywhere that you direct them to go? Um, I'm actually um, pretty shocking at, at social media. I'm better on Twitter than I am on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, I would probably say have a look on LinkedIn. Have a look on Twitter, sorry. And also, even if I'm bad at it, I will usually retweet people that are good at it. So, And what's your Twitter handle? Not a real Dr. Laura. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted you to say it. I knew what it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is brilliant. No, superb. I think there was, there was loads in that one. So, yeah, thank you for giving up your time early in the morning and coming on. And uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see the progression of the programme at Southampton. So we'll have to maybe try and get one in the future where a bit further down the line when you've actually seen the players in person, got in the training ground and uh, yeah, got plenty of work underway. Yeah, that would be nice. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It's, it's been nice. And uh, I didn't even feel like I needed a coffee by the time I got a couple in. So no, Perfect. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Amazing. Cheers, Ben. Thanks, Laura. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast and big thanks to Laura for giving up her time and coming on, especially so early in the morning. Um, I've really wanted Laura on for a long time before we did the webinar actually as well. Um, so it was great to have her on. And big thank you to everyone for sending in your questions. This has been the, the podcast that we've had the most questions sent in and we did our best to get through them all. We pretty much covered the majority of questions and some amazing topics in this podcast as well. So big thank you to everyone for getting in touch. Takeaways for me, I think there was a number again in this podcast, but I think the big one that stands out, which Laura spoke about right at the start, was, was backing yourself. So having the confidence behind what you do, and there will be times, like she said, that you don't get the praise that you should probably deserve, but you need that confidence behind what you do to keep you on track. And also those goals, she spoke about having a goal of working in the Premier League, having the goal of, of getting a PhD. She did both of those things. So setting some big goals as well, um, and, and that'll keep you motivated and on track to hit those. And then the other big thing for me was learning about the coach. She spoke about the GPS reports that she gives the coach. It always uh, to the coach. It always comes down to what they want. Some people want to see more numbers and data. Some people literally want it simplified. Um, and she gave some great examples of of two different coaches that that take very different approaches. So you need to think about that in your own practice. Think about your your coach and what they want from you. And that might involve a conversation on asking them a few questions on how they want you to act and maybe present things back. So they were my biggest takeaways. I'd love to hear yours and especially people that ask questions on this podcast. I'd love to hear from you guys as well. Um, please get in touch. You can you can drop us a message on social social media 
at Football Fit Fed, or you can share the podcast because please do share the podcast. I really appreciate all the shares. And then just drop a little message on the share as well on some of the takeaways and maybe linked in with, with some of the questions you've asked as well. So big thanks to Laura. You can go and give Laura a follow. As she mentioned, her Twitter handle is at not a real Dr. Laura. So go and give her a follow on Twitter and you'll keep up with all what is going on uh, with the programme at Southampton. So big thanks again for listening to the podcast. Please make sure you subscribe and share the show. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 129.